absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Hey, welcome podcast patrons to a special edition of Leave the Pin In Podcast. And so basically what Scott and I are going to do tonight is he's going to kind of flip the tables on me. Usually I'm the one doing the interviews, but Scott's going to interview me tonight. And, you know, the whole basis of tonight's episode is to recount and give you, our listeners, an inside tour of what it's like to run media and to be literally inside the ropes on the professional tour with world-class athletes on the web.com tour. So, Scott, what's the good word tonight? Hey, how you doing? Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this because um, I would have liked to have been down there with you, but it just you know wasn't in the cards. Um, but I'm really curious what the experience was like. So I have a lot of, a lot of questions, and I think that you're going to be able to give a lot of insight for the not just the casual fan but even the you know the the super fan who watches on tv who's like well, i wonder what it's like to be out there so uh you're gonna tell us so i'm really excited yeah so i think uh next year let's mark it on our calendars um the hosts that hosted the caddies dan and mike who most people are fami- very familiar with from our last Leave the Pin in Interviews episode, <clears throat> Ron and Judy Monaco hosted, and literally I just talked to them to them the other day, and they were like, look, can't wait to see you again next year, if not sooner. So these are the type of people that I would without a doubt take up on that offer because they were just incredible. It was awesome meeting them, and just the genuine love that they had for their courses and for their community was readily apparent and shown through and all they want to do is kind of show off their course and and everything that went along with it but not in like an ostentatious way you know they just were so proud of it and it it just beamed through and and it was contagious you know yeah so a lot of the things i read about this tournament that that was kind of the way the savannah community embraced the web.com coming there um yeah, you know, obviously the course is, is PGA Tour caliber. Um, Web.com players are PGA Tour caliber also. So they were, from what I read, very excited to show the course off, very excited to be hospitable to the players, to the fans. Um, you know, I, I haven't been down to Savannah. My parents have, and they said it's, you know, you think about Southern hospitality, think about Savannah. So um, I can only imagine, you know, when they go all out and, you know, there's corporate sponsors and things like that, um, what it was what it was like. So let me ask you a question. Um, so obviously, you know, you get down there, um, you know, you pick up your media pass, you know, check into the, the media tent. What's it like in there? So <laughs> it's funny that you ask because, you know, you know as well as I do when this all happened – You know, we were through the roof. This was the first time we've had media credentials. Um, And and obviously, we're a very young podcast. We're growing rapidly, getting a a pretty decent following, as you know. The numbers Mm -hmm. show it. And we decided, hey, we're going to try and get media credentials for a tournament. Well, what better tournament than a web.com tour? 
Um, you know, one of the things is what's funny is this is the second year that they've been at the landings, yes. Deer Creek Golf Course in Savannah. All yeah, right. the, so the web.com is trying to reach out to some newer newer markets, some like kind of hipper cities, Savannah. I think they're in San Antonio, um, a couple other ones too from what I, I read. Yeah, which are – right, and exactly like you said, these are cities where the, the PGA Tour doesn't have a foothold. So it's a great way for the web to kind of, um, kind of assert themselves in this area. So the Landings is a private club, gated community. And it has 8,000 residents. 3,000 hmm. of those residents are members of the various courses. They have six courses there. Now, unwittingly, I have drove through almost all six of them because <laughs> at times it gets very difficult to navigate around down there. I've been through those kind of communities. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yes, you know, one hole ends up looking like the other, like the other, like the other, and this house looks like that house, and did I pass this one before? No, I didn't. What road am I on? Makes perfect sense if you live there, but if you're just visiting, it's, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, totally get it. A little bit confusing. So the first time, you know, I, I fly into Charleston, my favorite city in the country, and honestly, Scott, I spent a little bit too much time in Charleston. I ate too much barbecue for lunch. And then look, if I'm in Charleston, there's no way I'm not swinging over to Kiowa. But totally respectable really for swing... a big golf fan, right? And, and but the thing is, you you just don't swing over to Kiowa because it's about 45, 50 minutes to the course. Now it's only about 20 minutes to get to the island, but to get all the way out to the ocean course, which is, I mean, literally at the end of the earth, um, it takes a while. You have to pass, obviously, through a bunch of gates again and tell them why you're there. So I just said, I'm going to play the ocean course, whatever. So I hung around the clubhouse for a little bit, walked the beach, took some pictures, got a gorgeous Peter Millar uh, kind of a quarter zip pullover from the ocean course because if you're there, why wouldn't you? Exactly. And then, so I make my way down to Savannah, the landings club, and... I let people know. I said, hey, I'm here to pick up my media pass. And they direct me to the media lot, which was basically just a side street. That's cool. Guys working it gave me a ride up. And all I can tell you is the media center had about 10 rows, excuse me, 10 rows of seats of three on both sides. So there was literally room for like maybe 60 people. I had and no idea who to even talk to because you walk in and people look at you like you're the new kid in school. Right. Yeah. You know? Who, who's They're that? They're like, yeah, like this guy hasn't been with us since January when we were in like Mexico or the Bahamas or stuff. Like, who mm-hmm. is this? So I just looked at the first person that gave me eye contact and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I'm Dan Patisher from Leave the Pin and I'm here to pick up my media pass. And he checks the list. He says, oh, yep, here you go. And gives it to me. That was it. There's there was there's no special story around it. I walked out. I called. Now, hold on, uh, just two, two seconds before yeah. you you leave the media. Are there like monitors and stuff in there so you could sit in there and okay, watch so, the tournament or? Yeah. So there's one one TV screen, which I say was probably like a 42 inch TV that was on a streaming cam to the 18th hole. Okay, that kind of makes That's sense because you want to know who's getting off the course. Okay. Sure. The whole entire time that I was there that week and weekend, that's all that 
was shown was the 18th hole. And then the one day I did look out, and you could actually see the camera on top of the media center. Mm. And the media center was literally, uh, man, maybe 200 feet from the 18th hole. Ah, okay. Cool. So very, very nondescript. It said media only, but aside from that, uh, no bells and whistles at all. There was Wi-Fi and internet hookup as well as some power cords. That's really about it. Much different than you would see on the PGA Tour, I am sure. I I would assume so. Any food or anything like that, or that you're on your own for that stuff? Absolute zero. Absolute zero. The players and caddies, I was told by Dan and Mike, had pretty decent food this week. Um, I was talking with Stephen Imes' wife on the course, and she told me, that for one tournament when they were in Florida, they had an early tea time, like an 8.05 tea time, and they got there around 7 o'clock to eat breakfast. There was no food. They asked when breakfast was going to be ready and were told, well, whenever we get it ready, that's when they're going to have it. And she said, well, we all have 8.05 tea times. And they said, okay, well, then you're probably not going to eat. And that's interesting because Stephen Ames is a guy who's played at the highest levels. He's you know he's well, been St- Stephen Ames. Ames. Oh, not Stephen Ames. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, not not Stephen Ames, who Tiger whooped like nine and seven because he said Tiger wasn't that good of a player. Oh, not I gotcha. That guy. Gotcha. Now this is uh he's he's a young guy, a rookie well, from Iowa. Gotcha. Well, Mike yeah. Mike Weir was there, so in a week he'll be at the Champions Dinner. So ex- may, yeah, maybe yeah. there was breakfast for him this week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but from what I was told, this place was literally top-notch, and um, talking with a few of the tournament directors, what they told me is this is the first time on the Web.com tour that they've ever had to turn down volunteers. Now, Hmm. on the PGA tour for majors, you know, a lot of times they get so many people that want to work the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship in a big city, and they can't afford, you know, they can't have all those people. It's just not feasible. Yeah, you don't need them Well, they had... Yeah, right. They had 350 last year, and this year they got 500 applicants. So, like, this community has embraced it and completely shows up to do any and everything. And Ron Monaco, who was our host, was actually in charge of parking. So, the first day that I go to park in the lot for media, a police officer tells me that I can't go there because I don't have a parking permit. And I said, well, here's my media license. And he says, well, that's not a parking permit. I said, well, I understand that completely, but they didn't give me one. And he said, well, just park down the side street and you can walk whatever the quarter of the mile down the 10th hole. All right, no problem. Hmm. Well, I told Ron that that night, and he was like, I'm not going to stand for this. Spell your last name. (laughs) So when I get there the next morning, I said, you know, because you have to show it at the gate, and the gate has a video camera as well as voice. Right. And I said, hey, it's Dan Patisher from Leave the Pin In. And she said, oh, okay. Um, I said, look, I don't have a parking pass, but Ron Monaco said it was okay. And she's like, you can go right in, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Monaco said it was okay? <laughs> There's a reserve spot for you. <laughs> right. So his his wife, Judy, was like, look, I'm going to let him run this power trip out for the week, and then it's back to my rules. So with it being <laughs> Tuesday now when we're recording... <laughs> So Judy's back in charge now, and uh, shout out to Judy. You know, everything's right in the world. <laughs> cool, cool. So you leave the media center, and then 
you know, what, what did you do? You head over to the first tee? Did you take a look at the pairings guide, pick a group, try and hunt them down? What was the, what was the plan of attack? All right, so the plan of attack was this. My plan of attack was to get there around like one in the afternoon. I spent mm-hmm. so long at Kiwa, I didn't get there like seven o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what so, day was that? Was that Thursday? That was Wednesday. Wednesday, was Wednesday. okay. So um, practice so rounds. The pro am. Yeah, practice round. They played the pro am in the morning, and then guys were just out on the course. So as I drove in, I saw a few guys practicing. But Dan said, hey, meet me on the back porch of, like, where the players sit by the fire pit. So I met him. I met Mike. Uh, we chatted a little bit. Super nice guys. I mean, asked me if I wanted to go to dinner that night. But, you know, I was up since 2 a.m. to catch the flight out of Philly. So I had just checked into my Airbnb and drove in, you know, driven right there. So I was just knocked. I just wanted to get back, mm-hmm. sleep. And I said, hey, let me know your tea times. We'll catch up the next day. Yeah, it's going to be a long walk. You want to get some rest and you know be be able to, to get through there. So yeah, it yeah, makes sense. On, on Thursday, I walked twelve and a half miles, and on Friday, I walked seventeen and a half miles. Uh, how's the course? A lot of elevation changes. Pretty flat. Nope. I, um, your typical southern course. Not much elevation. A little bit here and there in the greens. You know, uh, sometimes um, I would assume they were man-made tee boxes that pushed the elevation up a little bit. Yeah, probably. But a, a really, a real nice flow through the marshlands. So you've got a breeze coming off the marsh. Um, you've got palm trees. You know, you've got marsh grass. You've got anything that you can think of that is like quintessential southern. You know, there's gators basking on, mm-hmm. on the ridges. You've got the blue heron stalking prey in the little tidal pools here and there. You've got the swallows flying all around. I mean, a great, great course to walk. Like, I had a blast just looking around. You know, the the Spanish moss is hanging off all the live oaks and the pines. I mean, it was just, it photographs real well. I put a ton of pictures up on, on Twitter, which is at leave underscore the underscore pin as a quick plug. But... It's not one of those courses where, like, the only thing that you're noticing is the golf. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. So the it's there's a golf course, but the surroundings are pretty awesome too. Yeah, exactly. That that's and, my you know, my favorite kind of course too, because you know yes. it's, a, it's a good course and there's something to look at. Yeah, and and it went from being like completely just golf to golf was secondary to the to the marsh to, mm-hmm. hey, there's some real nice houses, but they don't encroach on the golf course. So it had, a, it had a really nice mix, and I could definitely see why the players like it and kind of how it holds their attention as well. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, so I, I had said I was going to ask a little bit about the caddies. So you know, obviously if you, you listen to the interview, uh, um, the, the earlier podcast or podcast from last week, you know, you got a lot of insight um, into their lives. If you haven't listened, by the way, you probably should because it was brilliant. Um, but what? Because it's the web.com. There's still guys who are out there trying to make it. Um, you know, it was and like you said, it was the caddy makeup. It was you know a lot of experienced caddies, a lot of young guys who are you know probably college teammates, guys out there with their girlfriends. Like, how was it kind of set up? Okay, so you you know obviously on the PGA tour you have for the most part, 95% completely experienced caddies. 
Um, this was a cluster of everything and anything you could imagine. I saw wives. I saw best friends from high school, ex-college teammates, uh, professional caddies like Dan Urban mm-hmm. and Mike Creed. Um, you saw guys that caddy at the same club that maybe the tour pros a member at. I saw guys and met guys that bounce from the LPGA to the Symmetra to the web, depending on who's playing what week and whatever's closest and more convenient to them. I mean, it's it's such a mix. But I can tell you this, seeing the way that Dan and Mike prepared, I can 100% understand how valuable a good caddy can be to a player. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely obvious when you, you know, especially the, the the players who rely on their caddies. You know, you can definitely see like, you know, people who are, are having lots of interaction. You know, asking for lots of opinions, bouncing ideas off people. I mean, the the Spieth Greller relationship to me is the one that kind of really you know stands out. Um, you know, as one where he's out there. You know, he's not just you know giving him yardages. He's a psychologist and. You know all those other things out there too so yeah I, I definitely get how you would be reliant it's the only other person out there with you so right and uh you know like dan had mentioned you know any other job that's out there that let's say is like a cool quote-unquote job there's a, a lot of people that surround that person you know like take <clears throat> take an, an nfl team for example they have hundreds of people that work for them, and there's hundreds of people that can give you an insight as to what goes on in the field. Well, if you're a fan of, you know, golfer A, the only person that can tell you what it's like to be with golfer A is their caddy. That's it. Exactly. There's no one else inside the ropes except for the other players and the caddies, and even, you know, the scorekeeper and maybe the standard bearer, they're so far back that you just don't get that interaction like the caddy and the player gets. Hmm. Yep, absolutely. I mean, and again, you know, you've been to events, I've been to events, you know, you follow players for whole rounds, you definitely see the impact the caddy has. So totally, totally get it. Makes a lot of sense. You know, and, and there are some guys that just don't even want anything but someone to carry their bags. You know, and and I saw that out there. I saw guys that had zero interaction with their caddies. It was just, hey, give me the eight iron, you know? And then I saw guys like Dan and Mike where they're actually looking at yardage books that they charted throughout the day and discussing what the wind was doing from today to yesterday and and everything. Like, when I mean everything, I mean everything is charted down. They showed me their books to look at, and I walked the back nine with them on Friday to see how they prepped, and they showed me their notes between Thursday and Friday, and there was one tee, the eighth hole, which is a very long par three. It was like playing 205 the first day with the wind coming into them, and then the next day they moved the tees up to make it like 177, Mm. and the wind was blowing out and away, so... Yeah, it's a that's a big that's a difference in clubs. Huge club difference. And so they're charting that, and 
it's crazy because most of the players, when you tell them about the wind, they don't even want to hear, oh, the wind's going right to left. They want to hear it's a southeast wind coming in or we've got a northwest wind blowing out, you know? Right. And, and that, to me, is very interesting and, and kind of shows a little bit of the uh, intelligence of a pro golfer and, and, and how they interpret, excuse me, interpret information. Interesting. Yeah. Um, let me ask another question. Uh, and we talked yeah. about how the Savannah community embraced the tournament. What were the crowds like? Was it, you know, pretty packed? Was it, you know, kind of sparse at certain times? Were there definitely guys who had bigger galleries or you know, what was it? What was it like? All right. So Thursday, the crowds are pretty small. Now, that's to be expected. Followed, it's Thursday. Yeah. I grant uh, you know I followed Steve Weecroft, uh, Tag Ridings, and again I, I can't for the life of me remember the third guy that was in their group. But, and those uh, two to, to you and I, those two guys are, are names. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I don't know how true that is for you know the casual fan. I, when you I, said that, I, I was like, ah, sweet true. Tag Ridings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and like and Weedy both have. <laughs> you know pro experience on the not that they're not pros now excuse me but pj tour experience i should say oh yeah so right for for golf nerds we're like yeah of course we know who they are and like what they look like you know or whatever so um so thursday was pretty dead but there was this hole the fifth hole and was called schooner's cove and it was this drivable par four it played about 255 to like two two thirty three to two fifty eight, I think were the yardages that it had played over the course of the tournament. Um, but it was an island green, so these guys are trying to land a high three wood on this peninsula island green with a big trap to the back, water up front, and uh, that's where most of the fans were because they did this promotion. They started it last year, where for every birdie. There's a five-minute shot clock where drinks are a dollar. So, if <laughs> that's kind of if cool. ten groups in you know ten groups in a row make birdie, then you've got like 50 minutes where there's just like dollar drinks. So obviously you've got some fans that are overserved, and it creates this atmosphere where there's like a lot it's, of people around. Plus, it's like the, the waste people. management. <laughs> yeah, like the wasted management. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They had uh, this food truck called Bowtie Barbecue, and every single day I got their spicy roasted pork chunk sandwich, and it was unreal. That sounds good. So that was a cool hole. There were a lot of people there, but for the most part, from what I saw Thursday, pretty desolate. Now, compare that to Friday. Friday morning, we had a two-and-a-half-hour fog delay. Mm. So the 7.30 tee times didn't go off till 9, even like 9.10, I think it was. So a lot of groups didn't finish. You know, both Mike and Dan didn't finish with their guys. They had to come back early the next morning. But uh, on Friday, you saw a ton more people in the afternoon. Like between 3 and 6, uh, 6.30, almost 7 o'clock, the place was 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 popping you know it was mm. it was pretty packed and everyone was driving their golf carts through the roads and all that stuff so it was pretty neat then that's really cool so it, and you, if you look at good oh, i was just gonna say if you look at the web.com tour um twitter page or you look at the web tour savannah twitter page or even the landings club twitter page you see a ton 
of pictures from the weekend and video, and and it was mobbed. Like they drew a crowd on the weekends. Yeah, because I mean, these things when they come into towns, they're they're huge events, especially at a place like Savannah where there's really no pro sports other than you know uh, the occasional PGA or you know web.com event that might come down there. Um, so yeah, yeah so I think they this have is a minor league team. That's it. Yeah, so this is probably a, you know it's a huge thing for them. And it's a big social gathering, and I'm sure there was a lot of corporate tickets, you know, for companies in the area. So, you know, that that yeah, I would, it's really cool. I would love to see, um, you know, how papered the tournament was with free tickets as opposed to people that were actually paying customers, you know? Gotcha. So let me ask you another question. So you and I have been kind of behind the scenes at pro events. You know, we've been, you know, back in player dining, back in player only areas. Um, and and even sure. just yeah. at tournaments where you're just, you know, at as a spectator, you can tell, you know, the the players are pretty much catered to on the, the you know, the PGA Tour. Pretty much any whim they might have gets taken care of. Um, the LPGA, you know, where we've been behind the scenes pretty much the same thing um you know in terms of you know the the players asking for equipment you know getting you know giveaways things like that did you were you able to tell like what players were able to kind of get their hands on you know were there equipment reps there you know if a guy needed a new driver was there someone from callaway or something like that to just be like hey you know i want you know this with a different shaft or i want a you know a nine degree instead of the eight yeah, how did that yeah, play so out? That really, that doesn't happen on the web tour at all. Yeah, I didn't think so. There is one truck that they travel around with, and it's actually called the, They call it the truck, mm-hmm. and most of the players and the caddies know it as the place to kind of get beer if they miss the cut. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there are guys on there that will do loft and lie adjustments. They'll do checks like that. You need to swap out a grip or stuff. But they're not carrying the latest Epic Flash Head or, you know, um, the latest Titleist uh, wedges, you know, the Vokey wedges. They're not carrying weight adjustments for, um, you know, like TaylorMade's M5 or M6. So there's there's none of that. And what's funny is I, what was crazy to me is how many players are playing with what – you know, you and I would even consider older equipment. Hmm. Interesting. You know, there's there's definitely some guys, and you can tell they are sponsored out head to toe. You know, they look like the typical tour player. And then there are guys who you can tell are just wearing their own clothing, and they paid for it. And, you know, maybe they got an equipment deal where it was like, hey, we're not going to pay you. But we'll just give you the clubs to use. Right. And you got to give them back when the year's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or, uh, you know, hey, we'll put them on loan for uh, six months. But if you don't win, you know, we're taking them back. But, hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's a crazy existence for some of these guys that are trying to get that, that top 25 money list and get full-time or get PGA Tour status. I shouldn't say full-time because with the reshuffle on the PGA Tour – you know, guys can get dumped to the bottom pretty quick. Right. And what's funny is the the web tour reshuffles as well, mm. which I found out. So not only are they fighting for status on the PGA Tour for next year, uh, it's super important to not get lost in the reshuffle on the web tour, 
because you can have guys that play the first three events and then you know the web tour goes on a month hiatus like they just came back to the states two weeks ago and they were gone for a complete month there was no web tour activity whatsoever so i found out a lot of these guys will play local mini tours they play money games at their clubs back home um a bunch of them are kind of helped out by maybe a few different donors that each guy contributes, you know, 10 grand. And it's just a, t you know, it's like a $10,000 interest-free loan. And it's expected that once this guy makes the PGA Tour, that, you know, essentially he'll pay them back. Right. Yeah, yeah. They have benefactors who are kind of taking care of them, you know, in hopes that they eventually make it big. That's that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what was I just going to ask you? Um uh, I heard so yeah I heard something really interesting on the radio you know on the the PGA tour you know you can make a career out of being 125 on the money list and you know you're you're good like you're 125 on the FedEx Cup you're you know pretty much in all the tournaments next year and you know you can make a really successful living at that on the web you really need to be in that top 25 so I heard you know pretty much every shot you almost have to you know go at pins and you know there's a lot of pressure on every shot to do that you can't play as conservative as you can play on the pga tour so you know did yeah. you did you, you kind of see any of that or this is not as obvious two points i want to talk about off of that that's a great question um first thing is you know if you win a web event this purse was a smaller purse because there's no television for it, so it was only a hundred grand, 99k. Uh, a normal web purse, anywhere between like 125 and 130. Now look, that's a very good payout. And if you win on the web, odds are you are going to be on the PGA Tour next year. Um, but what I heard from numerous players as well as caddies is no one sees the web tour as like their future job. You understand what I mean? Yep. They only see it as their current situation. Every single person views the web tour as an opportunity. And that opportunity is to get to the PGA tour. Because like you said, you can finish, hell, you can finish 150 on the PGA tour and have a great year financially. You make mm -hmm. 125 and come back, you know, that's phenomenal. You can literally win a golf tournament on the PGA Tour. It's like hitting the lotto because not only have you won, but your um, sponsorships are going to go through the roof. Your appearance yeah. fees are going to go through the roof. You're going to make so much money off yeah. course. You're forever a PGA Tour winner. Without a doubt. Historically, no one can say anything different or take that away because you did it. Um, but the two-year exemption, people say, is just the absolute ultimate because basically what that is giving you is two free years to earn money mm -hmm. and there's a lot of money to be made on the pga tour oh yeah so yeah like leading money winners on the web tour you know they're gonna do good they're gonna have a nice year but nobody sees like Everybody would take being the 150th player on the PGA Tour over being the leading money winner on the web tour. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the difference has to be, I, I would say, probably close to a million dollars. Yeah. Well, without a doubt. Without a doubt. 
And then the off-course earnings are just, you know, beyond. Like, that's the thing people don't realize is how many corporate outings you can do and how much money you can make. Like, Phil Ernie Els, I remember a point five, six, seven years ago, and Ernie was getting something like fifty-five grand for a two-hour session at some, you know, corporate event that they had brought him in to be a speaker and hit some mm-hmm. balls. Right. Like, you know, what the hell? Like twenty-seven and a half grand per hour. That is great money. And those are things that nobody knows about. No one hears. It doesn't go into their official money list or anything like that. Right. Well, I mean that—that's really all I had. I mean that—that that was, you know, again, like I said, you were gonna have a lot of insight to the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on, and and being inside the ropes, you know, you definitely saw a lot. So, uh, anything that I I maybe missed that you definitely wanted to talk about, or you think we're good? No, I, I think you know it, it's funny um, when I was talking with the guys and our host family. Uh, Ron and Judy asked kind of like, well, how is it to do media? And I was like, uh, honestly, it's basically just like a free ticket in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? There's not much difference. And it only kind of served as like, if anyone said anything to you, it was, oh, hey, I'm media. But where it really was kind of worth its weight in gold is as I'm recording like the live quick nine walkthrough of the course that I did, People were kind of looking at you and mm-hmm. going like, why is that dude got headphones in talking? It sounds like he's commentating on the course. And then those people who would not approach a normal person talking to themselves would come up to you and would say, hey, are you are you media? Are you press? Uh, yes, I am. And then you get to start talking about your podcast and you get to start talking and, and, and learning about them and why they're there. So quick funny story. I'm on the fifth hole that schooner's cove i was talking about and i wanted to give a little insight as to what it was like so i start doing some explanation it's very nice woman is standing next to me and she says are, are you media and i said yeah i said I, I do a podcast with my buddy i said it's called leave the pin in she says oh like that's really so cool she says that's my son out there danny walker and <laughs> i was like uh i know who danny walker is yeah, I, was say, I know that name <laughs> And she goes, hey, I'm, I'm Tessa, I'm his mom, and uh, we start talking for a little bit, and he puts out, makes birdie, so the shot clock reverts back to the five minutes for the patrons, you know? And she says, are you going to stay at this hole, or do you want to walk with me? I said, well, uh, you know, I've got nowhere to be, so let's walk. So her and I go to the next hole, and there on the next hole is this woman, and she says, hey, Dan, this is Caitlin. And I said, oh, hi, Caitlin, nice to meet you. She says, her husband is Stephen Imes. And I said, I know Stephen Imes, you know? Mm. And so I get to talking with her and find out, you know, that they're from the Midwest and she quit her job to follow him on tour. And now she's actually working for the web tours, one of the consultants on Tuesday and Wednesday who, you know, record what clubs the players use and all that stuff for yep. the surveys. Yeah, I think it's the Rasmussen survey or something like that. I might be completely wrong uh, about that's, that. That's not the name, and I can't that's remember the name of it, but if you said it, I would know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and just, and so we start talking about golf and start talking about, you know, her son and then Caitlin's husband. And then it just turns into talking to people. You know, it's just, it's amazing mm. how golf 
brings people together. And then so we get to the ninth hole, and between the ninth and the tenth hole is a relatively long walk. I'd say probably 1,000, 2,000 yards to the tenth tee. So they're shuttling the players over. Well, obviously, Tessa gets on because it's her son. And she says, Dan, get on. I said, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to post. She goes, what are you going to do, walk? She goes, get on. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, sure. who, who am I to disobey a mother, right? Exactly. So I get on. She says, hey, Dan, this is my son, Danny. He runs a, a podcast called Leave the Pin In. And the guy goes, oh, big Bryson fan, huh? And I was like, well, you know, he's kind of the, uh, not the inspiration, but it's a clever name. He's like, yeah, very timely. And I was like, yeah, I said, I love his, you know, insane approach to the game. And he looks at me and goes, he's effing nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and he had played against him in college and tells me the story about how on this like 60 foot putt Bryson has that breaks three different ways. He's walking the entire perimeter of the green, like on the fringe. He does a complete 360. Gets up, is checking the wind. He said it takes about three minutes to hit this putt, and he drains it. Did he, he have a the compass and a the... protractor with him? No, he, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. I don't think the NCAA allows that, you know? And if he did, he better have paid for it by himself. Otherwise, they'll come down on him. Hmm. They're going to, you know, they'll pull a Reggie Bush on him. <laughs> so he makes it. He walks off to the next tee, and he goes, wow, guys. He goes, you know... I didn't think I was going to make it when I started walking, but once I got about 285 degrees around, I realized I knew the line, and I just had to match the speed. And they're like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's a 60-footer. The make percentage there is like 0.5%. And the mom was like, yeah, unfortunately, he has the game to back up his craziness. <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh, wow, that, that's really cool, too. So, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's just, it's just nuts. You know, it's it's really crazy what you can kind of get yourself into when when you're out there and meeting all these different people. You know what I mean, buddy? Yep, yep. So yeah, I mean it was it was phenomenal. Um, I think I think we're on the uh, we're on the books to do that next year because it is a hundred percent worth it. And uh, the the people that you meet and the connection that you make are just invaluable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I, I definitely want to try and make it down there again. If it wasn't so last minute, I definitely would have you know been into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, sounds like you had a great time. Um, it's our first foray into the official credential media world. Um, yeah, sounds like it was on. successful. And- let me let me tell the people. Scott makes a great point because literally it was about five days before the tournament started that I got an email that Scott and I had gotten media credentials and a parking pass. And so I emailed my wife and I said, hey, look what we just got. And she was like, that's next week. I was like, I know. She's like, so you're going, right? <laughs> and I was like, look, yeah. <laughs> it's it's tough to keep me out of the South, you know, so if I have a reason to go down, um, it's very hard for me to stay up North, especially at this time of year. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that that's really cool. All right. I think uh, I think that's it for me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all I got. I think this is a nice, quick episode for people. Hopefully they enjoy kind of listening to what goes on behind the scenes, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was, again, really, really cool view into what goes on behind the scenes 
at one of these tournaments that we watch every week. Yeah, without a doubt. So, uh, look, as always, follow us on Twitter, at leave underscore the underscore pin. You can follow me on Instagram, at Dan Patasher, P-A-T-A-S-C-H-E-R. And, uh, hey, go to iTunes, leave us a comment, leave us a review, tell us what you like. And, uh, you know what, Scott, I think we should give a shout-out to Fade Golf Apparel, FadeGolfNStuff.com. Just uh, check them out, especially with the Masters coming up. They've got some pretty sweet gear out there, and they're getting into head covers now. So Chris is doing a great job with their material, and uh, it's definitely something that could spice up your bag as the spring really starts to get into full gear with golf season in the Northeast. Yeah, I want to get that wedge, the wedge loft T-shirt. That one's really hot. Yeah, that's that is literally dope as hell. All right. All right, brother. So we're good? Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good to me. All right, people. Either get busy golfing or get busy dying.